You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I am one of your hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Hey, Holly. Hi, Robert. Hi, I just realized that I forgot to type out the little bit that says, this week we talk with blah, blah, blah. Oh. Who do we talk to this week? (laughs) Well, this week we talk with um, Dr. David H. uh, Rosmarin, who is coming back on our show for a second time to talk about his new book, The Connections Paradigm, Ancient Jewish Wisdom for Modern Mental Health. Yeah. We had him back on episode 81, and we're excited for our listeners to get to hear him come back on the show to talk about his new book. So, yeah. yeah. Have you ever considered using your middle initial in your formal name? Um, I do, yes. I actually do use my middle initial often in my work, like in so, my line like of work. So when your book is published, is it going to say Dr. <laughs> Holly K. Oxhandler? Possibly. I think so. Okay. I mean, with all of my research articles, when I publish those, they all say Holly K. Oxhandler. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. fair. There's a lot of Holly Ox handlers in the world, so you got to clarify. <laughs> yeah. I was just curious because you said it right then. Obviously, you used his middle initial, and I thought, hmm, I wonder how people kind of decide whether they're using a middle initial or not, unless you're yeah. like, you know, John Q. Smith, and you're like, really got to get the, the Q that in there. The Q in there. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Even though I'm sure there's a lot of John Smiths with Qs in the middle of the name. Maybe. Yeah. But maybe Sorry not. Sorry if you're listening know. and your name is John Q. Smith. That's right. <laughs> well, how are y'all doing this week? We are good. Tired. I know uh, you and I talked a little bit last time about not getting a lot of great sleep recently around here, but that has since uh, resolved itself, I think, fingers crossed. Mm. But obviously that doesn't necessarily like retroactively give me all that sleep back. Um, Yeah. And then obviously where we are recording this a little bit later than we typically do. So I'm a little potentially more tired than sometimes when we record these. But Mm. other than that, pretty, pretty good. I did record a, a cool video. The the Cumberland counseling thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I talked about it last in the last intro that I was prepping for it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that That's was awesome. that was fun to do, and then also to kind of scooch off the plate there. Um, so yeah. that will release in April, May, somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, I'll have to check on it, but I'll we'll make sure to keep y'all updated about That's that awesome. whenever you want to. There's, there'll be a series of them. I'm doing one of them. And then mm. like kind of like each of the therapists is doing one and it'll be like a weekly thing. That's so cool. I can't yeah. wait to learn more about that. That's awesome. Yeah. But what about y'all? We're doing all right. We're, I don't know. I feel like we're in the last stretch of the semester. I, the class that I'm teaching right now, we've got um, just about three or four weeks left and then we're all done. So that feels good to be seeing the the last little stretch of the of the semester. Yeah, we're I feel like we're doing okay. I will say Corey and I uh, both were able to get our second uh, doses of our of the vaccine and so we're definitely celebrating yeah. that yes in our home and just so grateful and 
man, it, there's just so much gratitude, not only for the opportunity to be able to get the vaccine, but just so much gratitude for, you know, the nurses and, and healthcare providers administering it, yeah. for the folks who are delivering the vaccines, for the scientists. I mean, on and on and on. I just am really overwhelmed with gratitude. So, yeah. Um, and we're super excited that we are officially in spring. So this is actually my favorite season of the year. And so <laughs> I am really, really happy that we are officially in spring. So what is yeah. it? What do you like about spring? Is it the pollen? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, that's my favorite. Um, yeah. no, my I definitely, outside of my house is bright yellow right now for no reason. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I, I mean, yeah, I, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's always been rough for me struggling with allergies, but I don't know. It's just the, the new life and the beginning to get more time, you know, more sunshine and my birthday is during the spring. And so, you know, I just, it's all good. I just love the spring. We're ending the semester and the school year and it's just nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's just good. So. Nice. Well, let me see if I can find a segue. Yeah. To. Speaking of spring. Nope. Mm -hmm. What do you got? Oh, did you, were you going to go with one? No, I was just going to say speaking of spring and then tell you to connect it to this episode and see if you mm. could do it. Yeah, that's really funny. I mean, do you want to try that again? I'll go off of it if you do, if you say it again. I mean, it definitely has no connection. So no. it was mostly going to be a joke. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, well, speaking of connection, this week we – uh, that was very meta. You like keep that? Going. Yeah, keep yeah. Going. So this, so this week we do talk with um, – I already mentioned that we talked with Dr. Ross Marin to a little bit about his new book, The Connections Paradigm, Ancient Jewish Wisdom for Modern Mental Health. And in this episode, we unpack the various layers that he talks about with regards to connection. He unpacks a little bit about what connection is and how it differs from disconnection. And then we go into some of the um, details around interconnection, interpersonal connection, and spiritual connection. Yeah, I guess I I guess I just want to get out of the way at this point and just let our listeners get to hear this conversation. Yeah. So all right, y'all. Here is our conversation with Dr. David H. Rossmarin. Enjoy. Today we have Dr. David H. Rosmarin, who is a returning guest on our show, and he's joined us back on episode 81. So for listeners who haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, we highly recommend that you circle back to that one. For those who are learning about Dr. Rosmarin for the first time, he is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and a director of the Spirituality and Mental Health Program at McLean Hospital. Dr. Rosmarin's research and innovative clinical approaches focus on the relevance of spirituality to mental health, and they've received media attention from a variety of new sources. He's the author of a few books, including his newest book that we're going to be talking about today, The Connections Paradigm, Ancient Jewish Wisdom for Modern Mental Health. It's so good to have you on the show today, David. It's so great to be back. Yeah, yeah. thanks so much for being here. Is there anything that I missed in your fancy bio there that you want to share? <laughs> I wish you had said less. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are very grateful for all of the good work that you have been doing at this intersection of faith and mental health, and it's good to have you back on the show today. Thanks. Yeah. I have the same sentiments about you. 
Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, um, I'm so excited to have this opportunity for our listeners to learn a little bit about your new book. I know we just were talking just before we hit record that personally, I have loved getting to read this book and was honored that I had an opportunity to endorse it before it went out. And it's just such a good book overall. So before we dive into the book, I'd love for you to share a little bit about the backstory behind this book and kind of what led you to write this book and like who is it that you're writing this book for? That's a great question. Thank you uh, for the opportunity to, to talk about it. So the John Templeton Press approached me a couple years ago and they said they wanted a book on Judaism and spirituality and mental health because um, I'd done some empirical scientific research in that area. And then also some some broader thinking. And when we started talking about the ideas behind it, I realized that um, the state of the literature and science would be a little bit um, sparse when it comes to to that topic, and not not necessarily enough to fill a whole book. You know, maybe we'll see where the field is in 20, 30 years, but for now, I thought it was a little sparse. So we were kicking around different ideas, and they said, "Well, is there a theoretical perspective that's informed your clinical practice?" I said, as a matter of fact, that there really is. And I, I told them the following story, which is that uh, several years ago, I think now it's probably closer to 20 years ago, I started uh, a path of spiritual study with my rabbinic mentor, Rabbi Lawrence Kellerman, in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, I should say. Uh, most of our study was out, outside of Israel. And um, uh, I started learning about this ancient Jewish paradigm for understanding and explaining and even helping people with emotional concerns. More broadly, it's, it's about how to help people to thrive, to have uh, emotional presence, and to most of all have connections or relationships in three areas with ourselves, with others, and with our spirituality or with God. And this paradigm is something I, I'm, you know, I'm not a rabbinic scholar. I'm not a, a rabbi. I have very little, you know, yeshiva experience, you know, much less than I'd like. But Rabbi Kellerman's an English speaker and university educated, in addition to being an incredible scholar, rabbinic scholar. And he was an ambassador who taught me about this paradigm. And over a period of literally 20 years, I gleaned as much as I possibly could from him. And integrated that, tried to integrate that into my own life and into my clinical practice. And this book is about, it's a bit about that journey, but it's also about what the paradigm looks like and how it can be applied in cases where individuals are struggling with things like depression and anxiety and, and other, other concerns that they often present with. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that's so, it's so evident throughout the book how you are able to weave in these different layers of connection or these approaches to connection and, and, and with the case studies that you offer. And they're so practical. I mean, they really, you know, just for our listeners, as we're about to dive into this, I think this, um, what you write is so practical for a number of folks, but I don't, was there, was there one group in particular you were thinking of as you were writing this? Yes. You asked who I wrote the book for. Um, okay. The answer yeah. is that I, I still don't know. In some ways, I wrote it for myself <laughs> because I wanted mm. to crystallize this body mm -hmm. of knowledge mm -hmm. into, you know, into, into something that, that I could sort of make sense of as an individual, as a practitioner, as a researcher in some ways. And I think that in, in terms of the audience, the John Templeton Press suggested that this could have broader appeal than just clinicians. I think the, uh, the first mm -hmm. audience, of course, is clinicians and people who are in mental health, people who are providing mental health services. But uh, as I started 
writing in it, and as it was becoming apparent to them, they thought it could have broader appeal as well. So yeah. Yeah. there is the ambiguous answer to your question. <laughs> No, I love it. I think, but I, I, I think that it's as ambiguous as it is. I think it's still pretty accurate. Like it does, it definitely rings true for mental health care providers. I could see it being helpful for those who are in treatment, but even sure. I think faith leaders may be able to glean a lot from this as well. Um, Thank you. In, just in different language of how they're approaching faith. So anyways, it's good. All good stuff. Thank you. Yeah. So you write in the book, right, about connection and disconnection. And there's even, I'm looking at a sentence, right, where it says, each human being dwells in one of two worlds at any moment in time, the world of connection, the world of disconnection. Obviously, people are going to say, okay, I know kind of, you know, the words connection, disconnection, but can you talk some about those two kind of worlds, what you mean by that? How do we know if we're in kind of one or the other? Yeah, those are those are really great questions. Um, indeed, the connections paradigm holds or believes that we are, as human beings, we are choosing at any point in time, we are in a state of connection or disconnection. That connection can occur in three domains, so us and ourselves. The connections paradigm talks about body and soul, and those two can be in sync and in a caring relationship with each other or not, us and others, and us and our spirituality, us and God. So in terms of uh, whether we are or are not in, in the world of connection, it's better to pick a specific example. So sure. let's talk about the body and soul piece. I don't know about you, but I have conflicting desires, uh, perspectives. Sometimes I'm very long-term focused. I have my goals. I have my values. And I know that I'm working on a project that's going to take me three to five years, maybe even mm-hmm. 10 years down the line. Mm-hmm. And I know it's going to be long days. It's going to be long hours. It's going to take really pushing ahead. And other times there's a container of haagen which is in my freezer. <laughs> and uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not thinking about three minutes ahead or five mm-hmm. minutes ahead. I'm thinking yeah. about that, you know, Ben and Jerry is like that. Mm-hmm. That's what's calling me right then. And yep. the reason why that happens, according to the paradigm, is because we have these two parts of us. There's a soul which thinks about long-term, it thinks about our values, it thinks about our goals, it thinks about what we want to achieve in life, as well as spiritual things too, but it just, it has a long-term perspective. And then we also have this short-term, immediate, physical aspect to ourselves. And how do these Mm -hmm. two get along? Are they connected? Like, does, does my soul recognize that my body needs to sleep and my body needs to have breakfast and to go on a run? Because I live in Boston and it's beautiful and, you know, you mm-hmm. got to be a runner if you're here. Or <laughs> does, it, does it recognize that I need to play sometimes? I need to sit down on the, you know, ground with my kids and like get out blocks or like get crayons. And I like that. And mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that I'm not able to also have my body recognize that that's not the only thing it's here to do. That in addition to those resources that it needs, because it's a physical being, it also has a job to do. And I also have an opportunity in this world to learn from that higher order perspective. So when body and soul are connected, they're recognizing that they're completely different. They're in the same, they occupy the same apartment, if you will. And like any roommates, they got to get along with each other and make sure that the relationship works. That's the world of connection. And Mm. disconnection is anything else really yeah Yeah. 
That's good. I think just the way that you have explained just that tension, that that immediate versus long term. And I'm wondering, like, are there things, though, that begin to bubble up when we are in a space of disconnection? Or what is it kind of like what's happening when we're in that space of connection versus disconnection? Sure. So according to the paradigm, when people are in a state of connection, they're protected against things like anxiety, depression, certainly substance abuse. Um, and other and other things that we would call today mental health disorders. Um, and furthermore, when people are connected, they are thriving, excited, happy, exhilarated, living a life worth living, and that's fun. On the disconnection side, we know from very clear clinical evidence that sleep deprivation, a lack of sleep, is one of the key predictors in the genesis, the uh, beginnings of, and also the perpetuation of mood disorders, of of particularly depression. So much Mm -hmm. so that a number of laboratories across the United States have found that simply regulating a person's sleep can have a massive effect on the course of depression. I mean, I'm talking about behavioral treatments for insomnia, even for patients who do not have insomnia, but they have depression, can be remarkably effective. And from a connections paradigm, that's in some ways the soul giving to the body. My body needs to sleep. My soul doesn't need to sleep. My soul has a job to do and like a lot of ambition. My body gets tired because it's like a physical Mm -hmm. being that eventually runs out of gas. Mm -hmm. And whatever amount of sleep we need, whether it's seven or eight or nine hours, which are the, that's the average, 95% some of Americans fall into that seven to nine hour range. Wow, yeah. If we don't give ourselves that need, then it's our soul disconnecting from our body. And the result is depression, anxiety, and other and other issues. That's one of you know fifteen hundred examples that I could give you. Yeah. So you uh, you used the metaphor before of kind of like uh, they share the same apartment and they're roommates and they have to get along, right? And so I'm kind of uh, picturing this idea of like, if you and your roommate aren't getting along and you don't communicate well or whatever, it's like, oh, it's always kind of tense in there and you don't have fun. And, you know, you were supposed to get groceries, but you didn't because right. we didn't talk about it. Now we're arguing and we don't have food right. and you stay up late and are loud and I'm trying to sleep. And there's like always this frustration, like all of those things as opposed to like, hey, we're totally in tune. So we... I'll be quiet when you need to sleep and we'll work together to like accomplish what we want to, even if they're different things, right? Like, I don't know, I'm kind of picturing that kind of idea. That sounds a lot like connection to me, but often that's not how people's relationships are. We demand a lot from our bodies. You need to get up, you need to perform. No, you're not getting lunch today. Um, In fact, who said anything about lunch? Like (laughs) we got to work, we got to get stuff going. So, and when it comes to other physical needs as well, we either put the body down, we neglect it, we ignore it. We're not in tune with that. I think particularly soul disconnecting from the body in in America, we're, ironically, I don't think it's our bodies disconnecting from our soul so much. In some ways, Mm -hmm. I I think we're actually better at that. I think we torture our bodies as as Mm. in, in, in American Western culture. Yeah. And push them to the brink, and then they can't take it anymore, and then they end up engaging in all sorts of things, and then we're afraid, and then we're ashamed, mm-hmm. and then we judge the body more, mm-hmm. and then it, connection just beget disconnection begets further disconnection. Yeah, yeah, man, that's. I mean, I I think the case examples that you have in here are so relatable and really resonate with this disconnection begets disconnection, and I mean, I know we could probably talk about many of them, but. I'd actually let's. I'd love to start with 
the interconnection piece. So you've kind of started hinting at that a bit. I have a couple of questions tied to this, if that's okay. Okay. So one, I want to hear, you know, what is interconnection and why is it important? And then following closely with that, I want to hear you talk a little bit about how do we discern the voice of the soul or discern the soul in order to follow its guidance, especially recognizing that this is the foundation for not only interconnection, but the other ones that we're going to talk about as well um, as we move towards building that interpersonal and spiritual connection. So great. Yeah. So okay. just again, okay. for context, there's three mm-hmm. levels of connection. There's inner connection, interpersonal connection, and then spiritual connection. Um, regarding inner connection, it's a, con- it's a connection between the body and the soul. And one of the uh, strategies that's talked about in the book is actually for the body and soul to converse with each other and to have a conversation. And this when I was first learning about this, I thought it was very strange that here I had this you know rabbinic figure telling me to talk to myself. And, um, and he was very serious about it. And in fact, so much so that his rabbi, Rav Shlomo Voldi, blessed memory, he would take the, the smartest, most uh, erudite scholars in the place where they were learning, in the, in the yeshiva where they learned. And he would make sure that all of them got out of their chairs and put down their books and left the building every day for a 30-minute period, which is a fortunate time in the yeshiva world to have a conversation with themselves. Hmm. And, if, and if they didn't do it, he would wow. pick them up and throw them out of the building. Not oh my God. He would push, push them out the door wow. and say, go for your walk. You need to have a relationship with yourself. This is fundamental. Hmm. What I learned is that we all talk to ourselves anyway. We're just usually not conscious of it. And we're usually not very nice Yeah, about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'll give you a clinical example of you asked about how how do you know when the soul is talking and when the body is talking? It's yeah. it's it's a very difficult thing to do if we haven't practiced it for a long period of time. And I mean probably 10 20 minutes a day for 3 to 4 months. It, the voices are like you said, it's kind of hard to know like who's my body, who's my soul, who are these entities unless somebody has sort of worked on it. Uh, I'll give you one example. You asked about the yeah. body following the soul guidance of the soul. Mm-hmm. So here's one example. It comes up in anxiety disorders a lot. I um, Often patients will know that there's nothing really wrong. Intellectually, they know that a panic attack is not going to hurt them. They've never fainted before. They've never, you know, had had a heart attack before. They understand, they've even learned that the panic attack at most is going to last 10, 12 minutes. It's going to be uncomfortable. Yet, so intellectually, if you will, spiritually or their soul has a knowledge that this is not going to hurt them. But their body has starts to have a panic attack and is like, ah, I can't take this. Mm-hmm. And they will avoid mm-hmm. those sensations and those. So in some ways, the way I understand it from the paradigm, the in order to achieve their goals, they can't avoid situations that they might have a panic attack in. If they start to feel panically and, and, and upset uh, and, and anxious, there's no need to make a sudden move. They just need to stay the course. But it's hard for them to listen to that message. And by doing so, that creates greater connection. So that's one example. No, that's good. That's good. 
Yeah, even the talking, I mean, I appreciate how you emphasize the that practice of talking with yourself or talking to these parts of you or listening to these parts of you. And I know you have an example, a case example in here where you were doing this with one of your clients and even your client was like, what? You want me to do what? And you want me to do that in public? Are you, what? <laughs> um I just I said not I mean, in public. <laughs> right. That's right. You did say not in public. But yeah. the fact that, you know, that she had asked about that. Um, but I think that that's that that's that's important that there is a practice element to this and that this isn't something you're just gonna immediately be able to discern overnight in terms of these different parts of who you are and what your needs are within them. And um, so yeah, I think that's really helpful just in articulating that. Yeah. So uh, there, I know uh, we've talked about like, there are really practical ideas in here aside from, you know, okay, someone says, well, okay, I'll go outside and talk to myself for half an hour. How do I start? Right? Like, what's the most, can you give some like practical, like, okay, maybe start by uh, saying these things or asking these questions or like some of those types of, of things for someone that says, sure, I'll give this a try. Yeah, I think there are even some sample scripts in, in the book um, that people can sort of try out with themselves. I will tell you, I uh, a couple of years ago, I picked up a really bad habit of running a marathon every year. Um, and uh, 26.2 oh, miles, it's <laughs> oh, a really no. bad habit. It's brutal. <laughs> I will tell you that on the course, after 20, 21, maybe 22 miles, like max, everyone out there is talking to themselves, talking to God, talking to someone. Everyone is seeking connection in some way. And the mantras that, Often, if I'm speaking to myself, it's like, you're almost there. You can do this. And my body is like, no, I can't. Why are you doing this to me? This is crazy. I want to give up. This is, this is really not fun. And my soul is like, no, 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 no. It's the last hour. The finish line is three miles away. You are, look at your watch. You have a GPS watch. You are on pace. You just got to bear it. You are like, it's another couple minutes. And I kind of figure that, see that coach athlete analogy or a student and a teacher analogy those are some good ways to think about the body and the soul with the soul being the teacher or the coach and the student and the body being the student or the athlete going through you know a, a training a training period um, at the same time and I and by the way the analogy goes both ways my body can't be pushed too far by my soul if we headed out too right. fast the last yeah. 20 miles, I'm I'm not finishing, right? Mm -hmm. I have yeah. to know my limits very yeah. well and be very cued into that. And I have to get enough sleep the night before and be hydrated and make sure that, you know, that, that everything on the course, I pick the right course with the right elevation profile. Like there's a lot of thought into what my body can take, but my body also has to listen to my soul. And that's, mm -hmm. that's like kind of, that's connection. That really is 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 an example to me of connection a very palpable one personal yeah no that's a great yeah. example yeah so that obviously the first one was inner connection right the next one that you write about is interpersonal connection i'm i was about to read all the same questions that holly asked right but the same types of questions right like what is it why is it important and then obviously we'll shift into like how do we kind of figure that out what are some practical ways of of facilitating and so like creating and maintaining, facilitating and maintaining. There it is. I found the words, uh, but those types of connections. But to start with, right, like interpersonal connection, can you give us an overview and, and why that's important? Sure. Yeah, I sure will. Um, just before getting into interpersonal connection, there's one other facet of the paradigm, which I think is really mm -hmm. worthy of mm -hmm. mentioning. 
these are hierarchical levels. So the first level is interconnection. And then the second is interpersonal connection. And the third is spiritual connection. Mm. If a person wants to dive into relationships with other people, they will be constrained to the degree to which they have interconnection. Right. So if people are un, un, unmoored, uh, unhinged, uh, uh, emotionally unhealthy within themselves, it's very difficult to pour yourself, pour ourselves into relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. That's like the bottom. It's like building the second floor without having the first floor. Mm, it's yeah. just a recipe for things falling through. Which I'm, I'm so glad you highlighted that, right? Because I yeah. think for so many of us, because the, the inner connection is something that we're so kind of not used to, I think, like modern culture, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. we're so used to kind of finding value in external relationships or like kind of I want all my validation or my acceptance or everything from those and it creates kind of all these problems, right? And so jumping to those but saying I don't really know anything about myself I think we see that playing out all the time. So I'm, I'm so glad that you oh, highlighted yeah. that kind of foundational. Yeah. 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 And and one thing too, I know that you note within the book too, is the complexity when we get to interpersonal connection where we're looking at the body and soul within one individual. But now when we get into interpersonal, we're looking at the body and soul within both individuals. Yes. Yeah. And just that just adds a layer of complexity on top of it in addition to the fact that we're building on from the the first with an inner connection. Yeah. Right. There's our own emotional health or connection and, and our partners or others uh, right. level of connection. And we have to deal with two sets of complexity, not just, yes. not just one. Yes. I like to say that in some ways, uh, the, inter- the inner connection is harder to conceptualize because of the what you said before, who's the body, who's the soul, who are these entities? The uh, interpersonal connection is more concrete because I'm me and you're you and you know the Three of us are having a conversation, so we can mm-hmm. sort of see who the parties are, but it's yeah. much more complex because underneath the surface is actually a whole lot of other variables that not, none of us can control. Mm-hmm. Um, inner On the inner world, we have, you know, I can get to bed on time. I can treat myself with respect. I can also have a vision and move myself towards it. I can accept that drive or I cannot. And that's that's those are all decisions that I can make. In interpersonal, I have a lot less uh, agency. Mm-hmm. I give up that agency. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Well, let's. I mean, just circling back to um, Robert's yes. questions. That yeah, like tell us a little bit more about interpersonal connection, why it's important, and going sure. into sure. Well, yeah, we are so we are social beings. All of you know, clinical science, even modern uh, neurobiology, has taught us very clearly that when human beings have connections with other human beings, we thrive. In fact, uh, Rabbi Kellerman's uh, rabbi, who taught him about the connections paradigm, Revolta, who I mentioned before, he has a very interesting insight in the book that most um, animals are born and they are mobile right away. You can have a calf is born and within hours it's walking around. A human, a human baby, when they're born, mm-hmm. completely helpless, completely mm-hmm. defenseless. They need a, a, a period he calls about, he actually has a beautiful language for it. He says there's gestation inside the womb, and then there's a gestation inside the social womb of a family or a community where mm. it, human beings are born half, half-baked, half so to speak, mm-hmm. and they need to <laughs> develop within a social network because it's so intrinsic to who we are as uh, to our health. It's so intrinsic to, to what human beings are, which is to have yeah. connections with others. 
Yeah. So just to make it clear the importance of interpersonal connection, both from a scientific and, if you will, from a spiritual perspective as well. Yeah. So that's why it's important in terms of how to achieve it. So it, all levels of connection, and this is in the introduction, involve giving and taking or providing and receiving. And that happens at the body and soul level, though we've kind of talked about that. At the, at the level of interpersonal, can we provide for others? Can we take our needs and set them aside temporarily in order to focus on the needs of the other? But also, can we receive from others? I think in America, we're really good at providing for others' needs. It's a very generous, generous culture, a generous country. Um, philanthropy is at an all-time high. Um, we have, uh, you know, the, the U.S. government giving foreign aid. I mean, it's really incredible um, the amount of giving that we focus on. One thing culturally that we are not as good at, and the connections paradigm mm -hmm. um, believes is critical, is how to receive from others, yeah. um, and that makes us vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That makes us reliant on others. It's uncomfortable. But it creates connection because it provides other people with the opportunity to take care of what of us. And that's an aspect of the paradigm, which I think is particularly um, relevant to modern modern day folks. Yeah, no, that's that's good. I mean, it makes me think of that tension as well between like pride and humility and how prideful and it, it, just how pride is like, but, but I can do it. I can do it. Let me help. Let me give, let me serve, let me do. And where humility needs to step in and remind us to receive and to, to be and to, yeah, just to receive what others are able to, to give. I think that's, that tension just feels super highlighted in this section. So also, sometimes people will exert themselves too much in order to provide for other people without yes. recognizing that they need to rely on others. Yes. We see this all the time here at McLean Hospital where patients will come in and like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm really, I'm fine. And like, with all due respect, sir or madam, we're yeah. here to help and everyone has a hard time. And I think it's time for, for you to rely on others and not to push yeah. yourself as hard and to, you know, allow other people to take care of you because you're a person worthy of being taken care of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's another aspect. That's another application of this, of this concept. Yeah. That's so, uh, culturally that's so, I, I, part of why I think that's so like hard is we, we tend to particularly in, uh, the United States, right? Like we have kind of this like uh, American individualism, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm just going to strike out on my own and do it and like, you know, survive on my own. And, and uh, what I love about what you brought up is like, that's literally not, there's no uh, sociology and neurobiology and all this, right? Like kind of points to the fact that that's not how we are created to exist. That's not how we thrive. That's not how, you know, things like that. And so I think that's so, uh, Every time you say that, sometimes it like rubs weirdly against kind of uh, what's so ingrained in Americans oftentimes. Um, so it's it's hard, but I think that's obviously important to say like, no, these things are in balance. Yeah, very much so. There's a great quote I saw recently. I forget the source of it, but I remember the quote, which is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. That's yeah. good. That's good, good, right? Yeah, it's that's really good. good. Yep. Well, I mean, and and even just as you were talking through the the there's one case example in the in the first section that I'm thinking of, and it's Adam and how he was like not taking. I mean, I know it wasn't in, under the section around interpersonal. I'm just thinking back to this one where, like, the example of Adam, where he was 
not taking vacation. He wasn't spending time with his family. It was like just go, 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 white knuckling through everything and, you know, and reaching that point of burnout where he was in your office, like just can't do it anymore. It seems relevant to this one. I would be curious too if, you know, we talked about some different practices or yeah, just some practical ways to go about the interconnection piece. Could you give us one or two things to be thinking about like certain practices under the interpersonal connection piece? Yeah, sure. Well, one, I don't know if I put this in the book, but one which definitely would apply. I don't know if we have to be vulnerable to everybody in our world. I think, um, as you were saying before, you know, this American cowboy individualism, you know, it's almost too, too, we have too much pride to show our vulnerability, you know, en masse. Um, Some people do that, you know, they'll make social media posts about how much they really need others. And I, I think there's a lot of bravery in that. But for most people, I think that's, that's a, that's a tall order. But if there's one or two people in our lives who we can truly confide in and say, hey, I'm having a hard day, this is this is what I need from you right now, that's critically important. You know, you don't want to walk walk in the door after a long day at work, a long, hard day at work, and not have the people who you love and who love you being aware that you need them, that you need to yeah. rely on them, you need a hug, you need them to smile at you, you need things to be a certain way. And um, I think that that's that's critical that we communicate our needs to the people, at least to a couple people, whether it's one confidant or a spouse, you know, that that vulnerability is is critical, even if it's not our main persona. Yeah. So given before you talked about how this is kind of built on the the interpersonal or the, the inner connection one, right, of both people. So I'm curious about how to, because obviously you could say, okay, just pick two people that are locationally closest to you and tell them, but obviously they may not be the people that are the safest people or things like that, right? right? And so I'm curious in terms of if you say, okay, I'm doing kind of my inner work and then I want to build some of these, but someone says, okay, I I don't really know how to find the people that it might be actually like good and healthy and helpful to do that with because I've tried with this person and they, it was a, a nightmare, right? Is there, are there ways that potentially you could say, okay, uh, here's how we're l- not like sorting people in terms of like, you'd be good, you wouldn't, but in terms of determining like who safe, healthy people are to, to build some of these connections with? It's a great question. I'm not sure you're going to like the answer. Um, I think <laughs> in some ways, in some ways, the answer is that no one is perfectly safe and healthy. And mm, I don't yeah. just mean that today. I mean, we are all complicated human beings who have our vices and our weak moments and our struggles. And in fact, one of the chapters in the interpersonal connection section is about tolerating other people's issues and recognizing that any relationship that we get into will not be perfect. Mm -hmm. Anybody who, and think about it, the people who you're closest to are you most? Are you more likely or less likely to have an issue with those people? Vastly Always. more, I yeah. would say. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Always. The people you love the most. You have the biggest fights with the people you love the most. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's the way life is, and and the reason why is because the, when we develop that connection with others, we expose ourselves as vulnerable, and sometimes those raw spots they get trod on because other people don't know or. Maybe they don't even care at certain points. And does that mean that we pull back and have no relationships with others? 
Well, the connections paradigm encourages us to continue and to find ways to navigate our needs in the context of these social needs, this need for connection with other people. And it's not not an easy process, but it is something that we we all need to do to have a thriving life. Yeah. yeah. It's good being reminded that yeah, especially those who we love the most and are, you know, around <laughs> a lot and you know, those right. fights they come and we work through them and yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, so just kind of to move up to the next kind of layer through this process, the the last piece to this is the spiritual connection piece. And so similar to the other sections, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about what it is and why it's important and yeah, maybe just unpacking a little bit on that. And and maybe why why this is built on top of inner and interpersonal connection. Like how does this kind of why is it necessary? Yeah, and, yeah. and it is built on top of this. I yeah. think that's an appropriate maybe place to start. Um if we can have a relationship with, okay, I'll put it this way. Spiritual connection is about having a thriving, connected relationship with a non-corporeal, non-physical being. That's going to be harder to do than having a relationship mm-hmm. with a corporeal, physical being. Mm-hmm. So to the extent to which we have relationships with others, we can understand what connection is with another entity and then kick it up a notch to to something spiritual it's a Mm -hmm. more ethereal experience to have a spiritual experience than an interpersonal experience so that's the reason why it's a it's an important bedrock by the way i i i don't want to i want to clarify something people can have a spiritual experience without having connection with others and you can have a relationship with other people if we're we know disconnected internally. The problem is the longevity of those relationships mm. is going to be tenuous. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. not that we can't have any relationship. It's just that the 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 ability to sustain that long term, we really want to make sure we're on a firm footing and a firm foundation. So that I makes sense. Make that yeah, I know that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So getting on the spiritual connection, there's really there's um different facets of it, but two of them I'll just mention. The first, which I think is um, we're palpably aware of today after the last 12 or you know, 12, 13 months or so, um, is that we're not in control. <laughs> really? <laughs> <And we> might... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you oh, didn't get man. the memo? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I am a recovering control freak. So, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm in recovery This last year was... Treatment, yes. treatment every day for you. Yes, right? it was <laughs> a it was a legit intervention for sure. Yep. Right. You were you're in good company. Mm-hmm. You know? And <laughs> um, and the the connections paradigm it reminds us or encourages us to think about that very concretely. How little control we have. How truly vulnerable we are in this world. I don't know if you saw the YouTube videos on this, but Bill Gates called a pandemic six or seven years ago. He, mm-hmm. he was yeah. very clear that this was we were sitting ducks for it and we're sitting ducks for many other issues by the way you know mm-hmm. it's, it's not only it doesn't only have to be a virus or rising sea levels or you know mm-hmm. uh sort of any sort of apocalyptic uh um astronomical events i mean mm-hmm. there's all sorts of stuff that you know i hate to, hate to say it uh hopefully it won't happen it's a good uh, uplifting yeah. time here on uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i know 
Right. But it's important for us to recognize that we really had, we we're, we're just a speck of dust and at the same, you know, but at the same time we play a potentially critical role in this world. And ultimately human beings were the ones who came up with a vaccine and distributed it and, 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 and medical interventions this last year and educational interventions through zoom. and, And we have such potential as human beings as small and vulnerable and nothing as we are, you know, cosmic, literally cosmic specks of dust with no agency at the same time. In some ways, it's almost as if God relies on us to do our job in this world. Otherwise, things don't evolve to the way they should. So that's what spiritual connection is about, that dichotomy and really delving into both, recognizing that we can choose to make decisions which can have an effect on the course of history with basically no agency along the way because any of our efforts could be thwarted or catapulted into prime time through um through factors that are completely beyond our control. Yeah. Those are a couple of facets of spiritual connection. Yeah. Man, it's it's good being reminded each day that we are not in control. It's part of like my meditation practice. I know we've talked about it on the show before, but it's super important. Well, tying in with this then, is there a practice or two that you would recommend for folks as you know yes. they navigate the spiritual connection piece? Yes, a couple of things. Number one is to, and I think we've all done this over the last year, to contemplate uh, on, a, on a daily or at least on a weekly basis how little control we have and how things really could spin out of the, you know, I used to fly a lot before the pandemic and I used to have this practice whenever I crossed over the threshold onto the plane. You know, sometimes you can see the little gap below that like it tells, it takes you down the tarmac. I'm like, okay, now I'm leaving Earth and I'm getting onto this box <laughs> that's going to, you know, send me off at, to 30,000 feet in the air going 700 miles an hour. And like, I don't know, I hope I make it to wherever I'm supposed <laughs> to go. But that is not within my control because I'm a passenger mm-hmm. on this plane. Yep. And um, that's just the way it is. So that was my sort of one, you know, piece. I used to do it fairly frequently. But the other piece is really to to to, to dream big. And to mm. dream about what we can accomplish in this world, what we want to accomplish in this world, each of us has a unique job to do, something that only us, only we can do, um, whether that's a, a small project or a, uh, whether, you know, a, a, a local thing, um, whether it's having, being just being with a family is being part of a community or whether it's something on the regional or national or even global stage. Each of us has a critical job to do in this world and really dreaming big. What is it that we want to accomplish and can we move in that direction um, over the course of our lives? So those are two ideas that that come up in the book. Yeah, those are good. Well, one of the, the questions that we love to ask folks too, especially when we have authors come on, researchers who are doing you know such good work and they've poured themselves into whether the book it is that they've come on to talk about or the project that they've come on to talk about. Um, but we love to ask folks, you know, what is their hope for this work? And so we'd love to ask you this question, David. Like this book is out. We're excited for our listeners to get to hear about it. And so just what is your hope as the connections paradigm is launched out into the world? Uh, my hope is a personal one. You know, I hope that um, I'm able to embody to a greater degree some of the ideas in this book. I think that um, ultimately there's only one person we can change in this world, and that's ourselves. And uh, I have, you know, a long way to go in the in the worlds of connection. I think that there's a lot of 
wisdom beyond this book. You know, this is sort of an English distillation of these concepts, and it's sort of just you know organized in in a in a in a pretty basic way. But in reality, the world of connection is very vast and very deep, and I'm I'm very much a novice. So my hope is to spread the very little of that knowledge that I know. Um, and then somehow maybe it'll make a cosmic difference and make it easier for me to, to understand and embody some of the principles myself. That's good. Can't ask for more than that. That's yeah. awesome. I love that. Well, friends, you can buy this book, The Connections Paradigm, Ancient Jewish Wisdom for Modern Mental Health, wherever you buy your books. We will include a link to Dr. David Rosmarin's work um, in the show notes for you to check out. Um, you connect can connect with Robert at robert-four.com or on any social media at Robert Four. You can connect with me at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. Dr. Rosemary, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah. And for, thank you for this book. I mean, personally, it's been a gift to get to read it. And I just am, I'm just so grateful for it. So do you have any, any closing thoughts for our listeners as we close today? Just that it was a real blessing to be on your show again. And um, I'm really glad to, to be a part of it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH podcast at gmail.com.